the towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, partnering with donors and nonprofits statewide to strengthen Maine communities through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. It's 9.59 and you are tuned to WERU-FM. 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. So what if our investments weren't about short-term gain, but ensuring that farms and fisheries could support us forever? If we live in an economy where companies are too big, finances too complex, and money is buzzing around at the speed of light, could we slow things down? Well, this morning, those are some of the questions we'll ask our guests um, uh, here at WERU. Um, we're talking with Slow Money Maine folks and uh, their connections to Maine farmers and food entrepreneurs as investors in how to slow things down. We're glad to have uh, uh, Bill Eldridge back with us. Uh, Bill is both with Moo Milk and um, on the steering committee of, of uh, Slow Money Maine. Welcome to you, Bill. Well, thank you. It's great to be back here with you, Ron. And we'll hear more about uh, where Moo Milk has um, come to um, uh, in a little bit. And also welcome Eleanor Kinney. Eleanor is on the steering committee of uh, Slow Money Maine, but more importantly is an investor and uh, helping make this whole process work. So welcome to you, Eleanor. Thank you, Ron. Good to be here. So, Eleanor, I'll start with you. Um, tell us a little bit about um, your own background and what um, led you to um, be interested in investing in, in these kinds of efforts. Well, for me, I've been increasingly focused on how to align my investments with my values. Mm. So I've been an, an environmental activist since college and interested in environmental causes and land conservation and got involved in a number of battles, you know, trying to save things or, or stop certain types of development. I led a referendum campaign with my friend Jenny to stop Super Walmart from building in Damariscotta. And that was a real turning point for me because I thought, Okay, so as a community, we've said no to this. This is not the way we want to develop. But as a community and a society, what are we saying yes to? Mm. What's, the, what's the positive thing to work for here? And I had really been thinking, and in that process, I was thinking about, you know, well, I had, I mean, I own Walmart stock. So I completely divested from Walmart. I've been divesting from, you know, early days was Philip Morris, you know, and then the McDonald's and... And a process I'm thinking of what what is the money I have invested in the stock market doing and what could that money be doing? Um, and so for me, it's been I love agriculture. I love land conservation. I, I want to create jobs in rural communities. I want my kids and everybody else to be eating healthy local food. 
And so I want to invest in that. I want to help grow that farming economy. And you have a farm yourself. Tell us a little bit about that. And that's in Bremen? That's in Bremen. I have a diversified organic farm, which I have in collaboration. I wanted to help launch young farmers. So through Cooperative Extension, I found a young farming couple who moved to my property and started their CSA and farmers market-based business. And so now we have pigs in the woods and sheep in the paddock. And I'd always always had chickens and, and vegetables and fruit, but this was really branching out. And so it's amazing for me. It's been an amazing way to raise my kids, mm. you know, to have them around this kind of, you know, just connected to the earth activity. And it's also for me been about living what I'm investing in and understanding what farmers go through and how hard it is to develop their business and how low the profit margins are and what it means to really inter- internalize the environmental costs. Mm. Um, mm. So I have just been trying to make my life more and more consistent. Mm. Aligned. With my, aligned with alignment right. with my values. And right. I just put in a vineyard. So I'm really, that's my own project right. I'm really right. excited about. Long term. Uh, vineyards aren't tomorrow. These aren't, these, you're not trying to get a crop tomorrow. You're no. looking long term. <laughs> yeah, it's three to four years right. <laughs> before you start harvesting those grapes. Great. Well, let's turn to Bill and, and get an update on Moo Milk. Maine's own organic milk is a, is a wonderful um, uh, kind of experiment. But, you know, last time we talked, it, it really was kind of at risk. So what's yeah. happened in the last year or so? Well, we didn't die and no one shot me. So that was a good start, all right? If anybody who's seen the movie, Betting the Farm, there are a few farmers who indicated that my life expectancy was really short, like maybe next Friday or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So fortunately, we got past that. And and we've been fortunate that, um, just like Eleanor mentioned, and, and, and I should mention that Eleanor is an investor mm. in Moo Milk, one of the early ones, very early ones. Um, and as she said, she did it not because she expected a huge return. And that's one of the things about social investing. I mean, you really have to be at risk. I know there's a lot of organizations in the world and the state that talk about how they're risk investors. Eleanor's a risk investor, okay, <laughs> as a real definition right. of it, because she'll go into something really because of what they're trying to accomplish. Mm. And I think that's the underlying message of slow money, that what you have are people aligned in trying to change the direction, not only of our economy, but our society. Mm. Um, mm. Since, I mean, basically since World War II, um, as, as Eleanor alluded to, the, the whole farming community has gone into this sort of industrial complex type thing. And while they become very efficient and they've conditioned the consumer to have low-priced food. I mean, if you think about the overall dollars in our consuming budget, the amount that goes to food has shrunk every year for the last 150 years. And what that's done is conditioned consumers not to pay to the farmer what they really need to live and survive on. Mm. I mean, I'd, there are some major megacopolises out in, you know, the hinterlands and Midwest and West and whatnot where huge farms and they make tons of money. The government even gives them money on top of the money that they make. So politicians um, do well when slow f- when money price or the price of food is down. Yes, they get elected based on those kinds of policies. Sure. Yeah. And so you you look at what the farmers get, and and that gets back to Moo's mission, which is one of the reasons that Eller invested us is that uh, what we're trying to do is change that paradigm a little bit. I mean, basically, if we made a little profit in the future, so that we were a sustainable business and paid the highest prices for organic milk in the nation. I would consider as a success. So to update you, half of that is true, okay? Moo is paying the highest organic prices in the nation. 
um, for our little farmers sit up here in Maine. Uh, obviously, that puts a burden on us to get sustainable. And so we're on a track to it, and I hope to be able to report the next time that we come here that I've actually either broken even or made a profit. <laughs> great, great. And so just a, a thumbnail, how many farmers, uh, what's your distribution like these days? And, and that's moving you towards that sustainability place. Yep. Um, right now, we, um, as all everybody knows from the movie, we started with 10. Two never effectively joined us. Um, three of those went by the wayside, unfortunately, for personal reasons. Um, and we are now back up to 13 farms. Mm. Um, and what's different about the original farmers versus our new farmers, the original farmers basically came on board because they had no choice. I mean, they were dead in the water. And if it wasn't for people like Eleanor and Slow Money and whatnot, we never would have gotten off the ground. So we got those at least sustainable to a level. The farmers that are joining us now are joining us because they believe in what Moo Milk is. It's not about having to survive it's because they're making a conscious choice that mm. they want mm. something like moo milk to move forward and that they and their children's children can participate mm. in this type of venture mm. Mm. and your distribution at this point you've last time we talked to you were you were hoping to break into new markets outside of maine how's that going um right now we are um in the planogram for whole foods throughout new england which means we're automatically in all of their shelves mm. um we've been in discussions with them about chocolate milk which is going to come out which was introduced at the common ground fair so that'll be out at the first of the year um we're in small chains places like crosby and donlins which are small chains around greater boston um we're in discussions with some major players down in new york city um to expand all the way down to the city and we have small chains in uh, rhode island mm. we're also talking with some of our larger partners hannaford and shaw's for example to go in other locations besides maine great Right. That's wonderful. Well, Ellen, maybe um, you first and then Bill um, um, coming in. This notion of slow money as a – and you, you were um, kind of um, pointing out earlier, it's a network. It's not a nonprofit itself. Tell us about slow money. How did it come to be? Right. Well, a lot of people have heard about slow food, which is kind of the precursor movement, which was all about how do we make agriculture local again? How do we know where our food is coming mm. from? And for me, slow money has taken that to, to the idea of how do we then invest in where our food is mm. coming from? And so there's a definite investment focus and a focus of moving capital from those that want to do something more meaningful with their money to those farmers and food businesses, which I consider to be social entrepreneurs. And so Slow Money Maine is a chapter of Slow Money National that was started by Woody Tash. And our state coordinator, Bonnie Rukin, went to that first 2009 slow money gathering in Santa Fe. And that really inspired her to come back to Maine and start a chapter here. And she started early conversations. And I ended up at not that first meeting, but one of the early meetings um, where she brought people together at Viles Auditorium. And it's just grown from mm -hmm. that. And when I say it's not a nonprofit, we are truly a network of people just all working together. We're farmers, we're investors, we're bankers, we are um, business people, we are nonprofit leaders. And we are all people with a common mission of rebuilding a local food system in Maine. And the reason why we're particularly interested in companies like Moo Milk is we have a real focus and interest around infrastructure businesses. So Bill alluded to the industrialization of agriculture, right? We have lost, I mean, there used to be grist mills everywhere, you know, and we have lost the, the ability to process our food in our communities. 
And so a lot of my investments are in infrastructure companies. Um, so, so, so how is Moo Milk an, an infrastructure company bill? What, what, what constitutes an infrastructure for organic milk? Okay, well, there are so many things that take place to get milk on your table. Mm. Um, basically, what happens is that there has to be a trucker that goes around to the farmers who milk their cows. And I have to tell you that being a dairy farmer is probably one of the hardest agricultural businesses you can possibly get into. It is, and it ultimately is, 24-7, 365 days a year. I mean, it's, the cows keep giving milk, and you've got to keep going. It's mm -hmm. a treadmill mm -hmm. that you're on. Mm -hmm. So having said that, what you really end up with is um, this whole network of businesses that have to feed into the dairy industry. And the dairy industry is sort of like a linchpin of agriculture. Because it's 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, they need veterinaries, they need grain, they need, you name it, there's always something that they need. And because of that, people like veterinarians and whatnot can afford to establish in an area that has dairy cows. And that helps the farms, that helps horses, it helps, you name it. Mm. So the whole process starts to build around that. And obviously, um, one of the things that does come from our major animals are the other end of the cow. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that provides also a basis for not only their own fertilizer, but it's actually been taken into the whole compost industry here in the state, which has been growing very rapidly. Mm. So it's all intermingled together. And so the, the what Moo Milk's story was, and betting the farm is a wonderful um, story uh, about that pr process, was the infrastructure was in danger because it was controlled from the outside. Totally. So, so um, you pick up the milk, what happens then? Well, then it has to go to a processor. And, and we were fortunate that we started an arrangement with Smiling Hill down in um, Westbrook, Maine, and they've been processing our milk. Um, unfortunately, we're growing, which is good for us, but it's hard for Smiling Hill. Um, we keep hitting their capacity, and we're actually looking at um, talking with them about going to a third shift. We've been doing two shifts a week, and now we're going to a third. So all of this starts to put pressure on other organizations and entities. And then you start getting into the whole distribution thing. Um, how does the milk go from the processing plant to the stores? And then how do you get in the stores? So if you had one cow, you might imagine that your distribution system is your neighbors and, and maybe a farmer's market. If you have 40 cows, um, you really have to go beyond that. And that's yeah. what you're talking about. Exactly. And, and, and I think Tide Mill Farms has been on your show. And, yes. and Tide Mill is an example of someone who we um, are a part of our whole group. They do their own raw milk thing along here the coast. But at the same time, most of their milk comes to us, mm -hmm. which is their bread and butter, mm -hmm. literally speaking. Mm -hmm. And so all of these things start to tie together. And when they start to unravel, when you start to lose farms, which has been happening in Maine now for 150 years, you lose all of these things that, like Eleanor talked about. Mm -hmm. I mean, Amber Lamke's been doing a great job. And with Slow Money's help, they're really starting to make some progress. Tell us that story. Um, right. Um, well, Skowhegan's been one of my favorite mm. um, projects that I've worked with in Slow Money. And there you have a grist mill, Somerset Grist Mill, that used to be the county jail. And Amber and her partner, Michael, um, bought this building and uh, put in a four-story grist mill operation. Um, and it, Skowhegan has been developing this whole food economy. Um, centered around this building, which not only has the grist mill, but has the pickup, which is a multi-farm CSA. The year-round farmer's market is in the parking lot there. The farmer's market provides ac access to low-income residents by accepting, um, the, there's a voucher program where their EBT money is doubled for use 
at the farmer's market. There's a commercial kitchen operation there. There are, um, so Amber's bringing in grain from Aristic County and grinding it and creating flour that she's now selling um, locally, but also talking to Whole Foods and other um, larger outlets. And there's just, there's now, there are pasta makers in the area. There's someone who's moved there who builds wood-fired ovens for baking bread. So there are all these interconnecting pieces in their local economy that are being driven by this interest and re revaluing of the local food system. Mm. And and that region of Maine, Skowhegan, was the breadbasket. I mean, Civil War soldiers were eating bread made from flour, you know, and grain grown in that region. So it, it harkens back to their history, and now it's looking like a really vibrant part of their future. Mm. So it's really... It's really been exciting, and there's been a lot of interest in what's called food hubs. And that's where you start to try to concentrate some of the infrastructure and the businesses so that they support each other. And it becomes kind of a, a web of interconnected businesses. Mm. And you've had some um, an economic development group there that's been very supportive. We've been able to move grant funds into Skowhegan. Uh, one of the things that Slow Money has been pioneering is how do we think about aligning investment dollars, which are often in the form of they can be equity investments like Moo Milk or patient loans um, or loan guarantees. But we also look at how can we align grant funding um, for this purpose as well. And some foundations have been really progressive thinking about this, particularly the Sewell Foundation, which is a large conservation foundation. And they've moved significant funds into Skowhegan. Um, and they've also been moving funds up into Washington County, which you will hear about, where we're moving grant funds into economic development nonprofits that have development of local agriculture as part of their mission. And then they are regranting these funds to particularly infrastructure businesses that then provide the ability for farmers to grow more. Mm. So, you know, if you have a grist mill, people can grow grain. If you have a slaughterhouse, more people can raise animals because mm. they have a place to take those animals without shipping them down to Pennsylvania to the huge slaughterhouse operations down there. I'll so, just remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about Slow Money Maine, connecting farmers and food entrepreneurs to financing. And that that's really what Slow Money is all about. Um, and we'll talk with folks in Washington County in a, in a minute. Um, just remind us of, in terms of how... Um, slow money works as, as a network. You bring people together, and then do you have regular means to talk about where are the possibilities? How how does it work? Right. So we have bi-monthly meetings where, um, and Bonnie really organizes these meetings in terms of who comes and presents. And we have a range of presenters. We always have some businesses that are presenting. They are not allowed to officially pitch and ask for resources. You can't do that in a room of investors, but they're allowed to present their business plan and talk about, you know, what, what talk about their budgets and what their needs are without soliciting. Um, and we have nonprofits present. We have, you know, CEI will come in and present about the kind of agricultural funding that it's doing. Um, we have people in Slow Money working on a credit union. So we, we have these regular gatherings. And November 14th, we have a day-long event in Belfast at the Hutchinson Center. Um, and so we have a diversity of presentations and with people in the room who like to make connections. And then people like Bonnie, um, Bonnie's very active in, again, trying to facilitate connections and 
Um, she has businesses come talk to her about their needs and she hooks them up with investors and I also do that as well where I am someone who re recruits investors into the movement and um, so what would you say to a, someone that you you know has means and um, you think that they're interested in social um, connections how would you uh, talk to them about slow money Maine how would I pitch it yeah, <laughs> yeah. well part of it is I love it so much and so people pick that up and they are, you know, I'm excited about what them, I'm doing. So they get very curious and ask questions and more and more. I mean, that's what the recession also did to us, where people understood that the stock market is inherently risky and they don't know what their money's doing. Mm. And so I think it made more and more people question these last years about, you know, what are derivatives? Where, you know, what's my money doing where? And, you know, and then they look to their communities and see the needs there. And so when I talk to people, I talk about the kind of businesses that I'm investing in and and both the, the, the opportunity, but the challenges. I am very mm. upfront and I, I always say to people, you've got to be prepared to lose this money because it is a high risk sector. And uh, I mean, Moo Milk has been an absolute roller coaster. <laughs> you got to have a strong stomach. How you say that, stomach. Eleanor? <laughs> And it's been an, an amazing journey, right. you know? It's been an amazing journey. Um, and I am very risk tolerant, but uh, it's, uh, you, need to, you need to understand that there are risks, but you also understand that the returns are, are much more than just financial. Mm -hmm. We're gonna take a short um, uh, break while I answer a question from our engineer. Hang on just a minute. We'll just go ahead, yep. We're going to be speaking with Will Hopkins um, down in, in uh, Washington County in just a moment. Uh, we're just clarifying that, that detail. So this notion of, of, of thinking about um, how people use their money, and, and you say that the recession kind of caused people to rethink some of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that also the, the local food movement is growing right. across the country. Right. And so what Slow Money is really trying to highlight is the idea of we all as you know can nurture that not just as consumers but as investors right and and bill your story of moo milk and and its infrastructure just reminds us that um we in maine had an infrastructure it's been stripped away by fast money <laughs> because fast money doesn't pay attention to the social nope. needs of a community. And so slow money is coming back. And, and you've been on this, this uh, advisory council or, the, or the, uh, the steering committee. Tell us a little bit about your experience. Okay. Um, well, basically, um, somehow or other, Bonnie Ruckin got my name somewhere, and she corralled me down in the state capitol one day and pulled me into a side room um, and uh, – um, asked me if I'd be willing to help, and I said absolutely because it's something near and dear to my heart also. I mean, I, I really believe that agriculture and food can be Maine's second or third most important economy. Mm. Right now it's number 15 if you were measuring GDP, mm -hmm. which is way down the scale, and that's fisheries and agriculture all combined. So I think And GDP doesn't measure this social connectiveness that society needs, right? So Nothing. it's it's only a small portion of what <laughs> the value of something is. Yeah, and and, and what we hope to do, and, and Moo, I hope, is a, going to be a, a shining example of that, is that you can aggregate things together. When Eleanor talks about infrastructure, think about it. A grain farm might only have 300 acres of grain, and that really doesn't go that far. I mean, Jim Amaral from uh, Borealis Bread you know, he could use tons more, literally tons and tons more of grain, 
grown here in the state, but there isn't enough converted yet. And so what happens is that you have to have something in the front end. And like the Somerset Grist Mill, which Slow Money has been f- backing, is that type of thing. Moo is another one. Mm-hmm. We aggregate a bunch of small dairy farmers and trying to create a national brand within the local region and compete with the big guys mm-hmm. and yet pay our farmers the most in the nation. Mm-hmm. So all of these things start to say that we have the means at hand. But as Eleanor said, what we do need is more people who are willing to make these social investments, put their money at risk. And one of the amazing things is that as people have started studying microloans and whatnot, they found that the returns are better in microloans than all the large banks in the mm. world. Mm. I mean, it's, that's amazing. Mm. And that's because, uh, side example, and Eller can speak a little bit more about this, they've formed a group of like individuals and they started something called No Small Potatoes. And really, okay, they have some trappings of, you know, you have to apply for it and whatnot. But it's basically a handshake loan. Mm. We've gone back 100 years. Mm. And, and that's what's promoting some of the small farmers to get them going. Mm. So um, investors, um, what does it take to be an investor? Um, is there a minimum kind of amount? Um, tell us a little bit about that. Well, Bill just mentioned No Small Potatoes, which I founded with Lindsay Weld and Chris Hallweaver, um, again, inspired from being involved with Slow Money. And it's a microloan fund. And what we pioneered was the use, and this was Chris's idea, of using the investment club model, um, where you bring people together and make investments jointly. And that means you don't fall under SEC regulations. And it's a, a everybody needs to be involved in the, in the shared decision-making, so you're not managing someone else's money. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, I think, 18 people in the club right now. And... One of the things, and we give loans generally up to five thousand. We've done. We did a ten thousand dollar loan yes! to <laughs> Moo Milk's Buy a Cow Fund. Couldn't resist that. <laughs> um, and uh, I think that's maybe one collateralized loan we have because we do take cows <laughs> for collateral. <laughs> but we did make a did make a policy decision around not requiring collateral for our loans. I mean, we we do we do look at tax returns and business plans. We we go through the numbers. Um, but really what we're investing in is people. Mm-hmm. And um, the microloans can often be just what someone needs to provide working capital for their business. So we have a big range of, you know, we've, we, for composting, for um, someone a vehicle so they could get to the farmer's market and cold storage and to buy seeds. And so we've had a whole variety of loans that we've provided. Um, and to join the club as an investor, you, it's a minimum um, of putting in $5,000, and we pool the money. And so in that way, we share the risk. Mm-hmm. So, and, we've and, only, you, and it looks like you share the homework. That's and needed. we share the homework, right. and we do site visits right. and um, report out to the whole group. So right. pe- you know, people are involved. There's another lending group based out of Camden called Maine Organic Lenders, and they have a, a collaborative shared due diligence process, but then they do the loans one-on-one. Um, and outside of these these loan and investor club models, there's a lot of peer-to-peer loaning and investing that's going on, which is how I invested in in Moo or investing in Somerset Gristmill. I'm invested in Northern Girl. 
up in Aroostook County and, and invested in projects in Washington County. And mm-hmm. so it's, 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 again, getting to know people, getting to know their businesses. But that's, I really am investing in people. Sure. Well, why don't you um, introduce Will Hopkins? Will has been on the show uh, many times before, and I'm glad to welcome him back. But um, give us your introduction to Will Hopkins and Cobbs Cook um, Bay Resource Center. Uh, well, Will is fabulous. I have loved getting to know him and working with him. He's just joined our steering committee. And um, Will has this fabulous project, which you will hear about, where he is working with both fishermen and farmers um, based in Eastport. And I called up Will one day and said, we'd love to work with you and help bring more resources into your project um, because he was had done terrific work building a facility and he needed money um, to buy the equipment and install it so he could do the freezing operations in the commercial kitchen. And and so it became this really wonderful partnership of um, collaborating with him to seek the the remaining $150,000 in grant funds Great. that Cobbs Cook Bay Resource needed. Great. And I'll just remind listeners before we talk to Will that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about Slow Money Maine and their investments to connect farmers and food entrepreneurs to financing. Will Hopkins, welcome to Talk of the Towns. Well, good morning, Ron. Thank you for inviting me on again. Sure. Well, uh, give uh, listeners, um, just remind them what Cobbs Cook Bay Resource Center is and then how you got involved in this notion of a, of a commercial kitchen, kind of a food hub there in Eastport. Sure. Well, the, uh, the Cobbs Cook Bay Resource Center is a not-for-profit organization, uh, intentionally. Um, we've been working since 1998 for sustainable community development um, based on Cubs Cook Bay's renewable resources. So um, um, back in, in, in 2000, um, uh, scallop fishermen asked us if we would help, th- help them organize a fisherman's association so that they could try to develop some conservation measures to protect what was at that point the last really good scallop resource left on the state of Maine. Um, so we did that, and... Um, over the next several years, the uh, Cubs Cook Fishermen's Association um, came up with a number of conservation measures um, to protect that resource uh, that they had to go to the legislature and the main Department of Marine Resources to develop. Um, and it ended up that um, the, big, the big piece of that was that they um, put in place a daily catch limit that, limited, um, that limits at this time um, any, anyone fishing for scallops in Cubs Cook Bay is limited to only um, 90 pounds of scallops per day. That's that's an amazing accomplishment, Will. Amazing, um, given the the rest, the state of the rest of the fisheries. Well, yeah, fishermen work very long and hard to develop that, and um, and it's 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 been very frustrating because, as you know, um, administrations change, and staffers change, and legislators change, and the general um, understanding of how things works kind of goes up but up and down with all the different changes so um there's been a handful of fishermen that really persisted and and a number of those um conservation measures that they did uh, put into effect have been have been adopted statewide or or um, applied in other parts of the state and i think it's fair to say that um the cubs cook scallopers really did um initiate the push um mm. on the part of the state now to to um to try to bring back scallops as a sustainable fishery along the whole coast. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people um, have put a huge effort into that, particularly in the last several years. But um, with all these changes in, in management, 
it brought about changes in the marketplace. So instead of dumping 30,000 pounds of scallops overnight um, into the marketplace um, with the old-fashioned derby fishing that we used to have before the daily catch limit and other measures, now you're only bringing in those uh, two five-gallon buckets of scallops at the end of every day. And um, it makes it a little bit harder to... um, to to market so um i i've heard bill and eleanor talking about aggregation um with milk um which um it turns out to be a word that we discovered when um uh, we were trying to find um better markets for those those uh, cubs cook scallops uh, nobody um nobody wants to drive from portland to eastport to buy um a very few scallops so in order to um, attract buyers, we needed to um, we need to be able to to put together a good number of scallops all at once and hold them in a in a in a um, in a cool and and uh, secure facility. So that started us thinking about how to how to do that. And um, um, back in 2004 and five, we we did a um, uh, a study. We had a resource economist uh, characterize the the Cubs cook uh, scallop fishery and markets. And um, um, there, there were three things that came out of it. One was that we could certainly increase sales locally, that because these scallops were um, um, being handled much more carefully in smaller quantities, it also was, was um, resulting in a much higher quality product. And then um, the, one single, the one single thing that, that fishermen thought they could do to get a better price for those um, higher quality scallops was to, was to create a marketing co-op. So that started us off in 2005, trying to build this, um, what's turned into a, a local food hub. And um, um, the idea is we'll have this licensed commercial kitchen and, and marketing co-op facility, and um, and we can process and add value to and sell um, both Cubs Cook, scallops, and farm produce. Mm. So that's um, kind of, it says two things. One, you've been at this a long time, you and your colleagues, and, um, and there's kind of a, kind of a steady progress, um, that both on the, the resource side, how to manage the resource, and then on how to, how to use those products effectively, um, both in local markets and then expanding those markets. Right. So um, where are you now in the, in the notion of a commercial kitchen, and how has Slow Money Maine kind of um, intersected with, with your long story? Well, I am delighted to be able to share with you that the facility is, is built, and um, about, well, we have about half of the equipment installed, all the um, um, uh, ventilation, fire suppression, and, and sinks, and all of that is there, and in the next several weeks we should receive um, delivery and get installed the walking coolers and the blast freezers and the refrigerators and um, and ranges and all of those those pieces of equipment so we're we're right on the cusp of actually finally being able to start marketing scallops this scallop season that starts in December right and and so what if we were to visit um, let's say after some of those scallops have kind of been aggregated <laughs> they've come into your um, kitchen what would we see how, how would we see those scallops being um, uh, taken care of and then prepared well one of the nice things about scallops is they've they've already been basically uh, processed um, in in Maine you have to shuck your scallops at sea and throw the shells and the viscera back over the side so what comes ashore is just the is the scallop meat the muscle that holds the two shells together 
Um, so really, the, the processing is pretty minimal. It's mostly going through the scallops and, um, and uh, picking out any bits of shell or anything else and making sure that it's a clean product and that there's no, no um, ripped or cut um, scallops. And then the, really the processing then becomes um, um, packaging in quantities that people want to purchase um, or uh, freezing. And um, uh, a, cent- a centerpiece of the equipment that we're putting in here is a, is a shock freezer, um, which is a fairly expensive bit of gear that will allow us to, um, to freeze scallops very, very quickly. And um, the more quickly you can, you can f- freeze seafood, the, uh, the less damage is done to the cells by the freezing and the longer you can um, hold the product in, in, in cold storage and the better it will taste and feel um, when you when you thaw it out and, and eat it. So um, that's that's what we'll be doing there um, is doing that sorting and uh, we'll actually be able to, to freeze uh, scallops individually on trays and then bag them um, in such a way that anyone who says, oh gee, we ought to have six scallops in a stew tonight or I'd like to, I've got couple of friends coming over so we ought to um we ought to sear some scallops they can actually take out as many scallops as they want from that bag thaw them out and then and then use them so um it's a subtle way of adding value it's it's not the same thing as turning it into scallop stew or something else but um it makes it much more convenient for people to um to use and um, again, I, I can imagine that um, because of, of Cobbs Cook Bay's long history, um, you're going to try to create a, um, a, a niche or a brand uh, for these scallops that will be recognized um, much farther afield. Yes, indeed. Um, already, I mean, Maine scallops are certainly recognized as being a very high-quality product to begin with. Mo- most, almost all Maine scallops are, um, are dayboat scallops. Uh, which means guys are going out in the morning and fishing for several hours before they come back in. And traditionally, those scallops have been sold into the same distribution channels as have the scallops that, that are landed from some of the big boats, say, in, 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 um, in some other, in other parts of New England. And those boats go out for two weeks, or, uh, 10 days to two weeks at a time mm. before they actually land their product. So we have a really high-quality dayboat scallop, and um, and the Cobscook scallop is, I think, already recognized as being um, pretty good quality, and um, as is um, other main main scallops. And we will be um, we will be marketing them along with um, several other products from this area under a brand that we're developing uh, for that entire line. And your connection with um, local farmers, tell us a little bit about that, and then I'll come back to the question of, of when and how did um, Slow Money Maine kind of right. interface with you. But go ahead and tell us a little bit about that farmer connection. Well, of course, as we um, back in 2005, as we started looking at what would be entailed with a marketing co-op and, um, and all of that, we were pretty well blown away when we realized the, the uh, intensity of, of, uh, of funding that was going to have to occur to put together a... a um, facility that met seafood HACCP regulations, the food food safety and sanitation um, regulations. And um, once we realized the, the magnitude of the investment of dollars um, and we looked at our scallop season, which is only three months of the year, we quickly realized that we had um, a great opportunity to add value to other food products. 
and that's when we started conversations with some of the uh, the so-called new farmers, the younger generation of farmers in in uh, Washington County. And so, um, in addition to uh, marketing the scallops, we will probably be handling some local cheeses and dairy products, um, some um, hopefully some um, locally grown and processed poultry, and and some and some other meat as well. Wonderful, wonderful. A great, again, a, a story that's taken place over years. So your patience and your work with your colleagues there is, is wonderful. Tell us a little bit about the connection um, with you and Slow Money Maine. Well, yeah, that was quite a moment when um, um, a friend of mine, Elizabeth Sprague, who is a business um, a business um, uh, analyst, uh, and, and provider, a, a technical, technical assistance provider from Maine Farmland Trust, um, came back from a meeting in Augusta and started telling me about Slow Money Maine. And I just sort of looked at her and Slow Money. Well, if anyone knows anything about Slow Money, it's us. Um, <laughs> we've been at this a while. So um, I went to the very next meeting. And was um, was really quite intrigued, and um, I liked the idea that uh, there's three or four or five people that present an eight-minute presentation and um, sort of a, it's a great way to learn what else is going on in Maine with um, with food and food infrastructure development. Um, so I guess that's one of the things I would have to say that not only has this um, slow money Maine been very good for us in terms of funding, but I have learned a huge amount about marketing, about finance, about all the different ways that um, people can actually get done what they want to get done, um, uh, depending on the kinds of agreements around around money um, that, that are required. So um, I, I figured before I went jumping into anything, this was slow money, and that was in line with my, um, my pace. I went to several meetings and at some point um, was asked if I had any interest in presenting. So I prepared my my eight-minute presentation and um, practiced it so many times my <laughs> wife and son got sick of hearing it and <laughs> went down and presented it and Bonnie Rukin rang the bell at the last at the end of the eight minutes and people asked a few good questions and and that was it well okay came home and my family asked me so what happened well I told them the story and they asked some questions and said it sounds like a good project and We'll see what happens. And at that point, um, nothing much happened. About a month went by, and one Sunday evening, I was having a little snack before I went to bed, and I was reading my email while I had a little something to nibble on, and, and I just about choked in the middle of my snack because there was this email from an organization I'd never heard of before out in the West Coast saying that um, they had an anonymous donor who wanted to donate $15,000 to our capital campaign to help us complete the building of our facility. And um, if this was agreeable to me to um, print out the attached letter and sign it and fax it back. And um, lo and behold, that was an anonymous donor who had heard my presentation um, the month before. And, um, and there it was. It this whole slow money process actually worked. <laughs> so I, I thought that was really quite amazing, but um, I didn't realize 
um, at some point, Bonnie Rukin told me, you better hold on, hold on to your hat, because I think this ride has just begun. And um, so I have to share with everyone, everyone, your, your listeners, that um, over the last um, um, two years, um, our project has raised um, $200,000 that was in one way or another related to Slow Money, Maine. Mm. And I will, I will admit that probably a little better than half of that we might very well have um, had come to us anyway, but um, some of it came to us that would never have have come to us without Slow Money Maine, and even some of the money that would have come from funders who generally have supported us in the past, um, I, I have to say that the money came in a much more focused manner. And so Slow Money not only helps um, people make the donation, but they help um, people understand what the timing is in your project. So when we were right at the point, well, the facility is built, and now we need to raise this 150000 to buy the equipment and get it installed. That was the big leap um, forward that Slow Money helped us with. Mm. They were able to share with different um, anonymous donors and foundations and other folks um, that this was a, that they could get pretty good impact with um, with funding us at that moment. Great. Will, I want to um, get our, our listeners to respond, so I'm going to let you go. Um, but um, best of luck in, in your good efforts there in Washington County. Well, thank you so much, and thanks for having me on the show. Great. Will Hopkins of Cubs Cook uh, Fisheries Resource Center in Eastport, talking about the food hub that's developing there. And uh, you're tuned to Talk of the Towns. Um, we'd like you to participate in our conversation about Slow Money Maine, connecting farmers and food entrepreneurs to financing. You can give us a call at one. 866-625-9378 or locally 469-0500. That's 1-866-625-9378. If you've got questions or perhaps you'd like to learn more about how slow money works. So give us a call, 1-866-625-9378. Our guests in the studio are are Eleanor Kinney um, on the steering committee, also an investor with Slow Money Maine, and Bill Eldridge, um, the director or coordinator of Moo Milk, but also on the steering committee. Bill, your comments on Will's Will's story. Um, I think it's really interesting, and it's emblematic of really what happens with slow money. It's As Eleanor said, it's all about the people. And, And seeing Will in person, listening to what the story is and what they're trying to do, convinces people way beyond any paper trail. And so if you have that personal connection, then you're making that handshake loan again. Mm-hmm. And 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 the no one knows what no one knows what the exact form is going to take or how it's going to take it. And you sometimes get a surprise email. That's great. We have a phone call. Let's go ahead and, and if you'd list your uh, first name and the town you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yes, go ahead. Yes, uh, this is Tom from Lincolnville. I have two quick questions. Actually, the first one is, would you mind um, summarizing what flow money is again? I heard the last speaker but I came in the middle of it, so that okay. would be helpful. Great. And, and I'm also working on two different nonprofit organizations, one for educational sailing and one for a children's museum, which could benefit from uh, perhaps benefit from this. 
Thank Great. You. Thanks for your question. Um, the, the, the notion of slow money uh, connecting farmers to food entrepreneurs might not fit with this particular fellow, but um, uh, Eleanor, to just give us the thumbnail sketch again of what slow money is. Right. Well, the, the national tagline is um, for slow money is investing as if food, farms, and fertility mattered. And so Slow Money Nationally and in Maine is, is really focused on building sustainable local food systems and in connecting resources with farmers and fishermen and other food businesses. Um, and we do that through networking and through bringing people together and developing relationships. And, and so Slow Money in itself is not a nonprofit, um, but we are... are Farmers and investors and and nonprofits and and basically anyone who wants to come to the table and and with a mission of building our local food system. Mm. And this notion that it's um, it's different than investing in the fast money world. Right. <laughs> um, right. It just it's, it's a great story. And it must be it must feel rewarding <laughs> when you um, you know when you get a dividend check. I suppose in in, in the fast money world. Uh, you put it in the bank. When you hear a story like Will's or, or Moo Milk's story, um, you know the cows. <laughs> right. <laughs> we know the cows. I've bought a cow for someone. I've bought uh-huh. manure chains. <laughs> you know, it's, when you get involved with Moo, you get involved with all sorts of things. Right. <laughs> and Front I, end and back end. <laughs> right. And we, we kind of become a safety net, too, because um, there's some of us in the movement who can move quite quickly. So if someone needs something quickly and um uh and it seems worthwhile and is connected to what we're working with we can make it happen Mm. um and that doesn't always happen when you walk into a bank right um so but again we can move quickly because we're we're operating as individuals um and because we know we get to know people and so there's that trust that's built and that's what the collateral Sure. Is, is the trust. We have a couple more phone calls, I think. So um, first, uh, caller, give us your first name and where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yes, go Hello? ahead. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Hello? Hello, th- go ahead. Yes, my name is Joe, and I'm calling from Camden. Um, just a question is, is there, what is the rate of return for the investor, oh, if great. any? Great Thanks. question. Thanks, Joe. Uh, okay. Sure. Yeah. Excellent question. Um, so we use different tools, um, but a typical um, rate of return on our loans, on our patient loans, would be 5%. So for instance, the microloan club, that's what we charge. Um, that's typically the rate that I'm charging in the loans um, that I make to businesses. Um, and uh, equity investment is a whole different thing. <laughs> Um, because there you have an ownership stake in the company and there are different ways that that can be structured. But, um, and I have to say, you know, we've talked about the handshake loan and the lack of collateral and, and we have a lot of businesses that the jury's still out, right? A lot of these businesses are not yet profitable. We're still in a startup phase with many of our businesses. Um, but in the slow money movement, when I'm thinking about all the loans that No Small Potatoes has done and my personal loans and what I know of other people have done, uh, I only know of one loan lost thus far. Um, and so it's, it's and, and what we do too that's really important is it's not just about the finances, it's about the support network and about the technical assistance that we try to hook people up to. So we take a very holistic 
approach. And and that's not new. I mean, an, or, an organization like CEI has been offering technical assistance um, in collaboration with their loan programs. But it's part of what what we do. In, and, you know, for instance, in Washington County, where I've been trying to work on bringing capital in, but um, Will alluded to Elizabeth Sprague. She's now working for Maine Farmland Trust, where I serve on the board. And Maine Farmland Trust has been wonderful about having Elizabeth work with some of our farms and businesses up there. Mm. Um, let's, let's see if we can get a couple more questions in. Um, go ahead uh, with your question or comment, please. Give us the, your first name and where you're calling from. Yes, go ahead. Okay, I, I thought we had a couple folks on the line. We still do. Um, it, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Well, we might not have them, so sorry to interrupt. So this notion of, of you, you using technical assistance, and if we'd been able to talk with Harold Clossy from Sunrise County Economic Council, you, you know, he would have told the story. So you're both doing the individual connections, but you're also making sure that there, um, the banks and the nonprofit um, kind of groups like the economic development groups are playing a role in, in all of this. Yeah, absolutely, because it takes more than money to mm -hmm. make a business successful. And there are all sorts of management issues, and there are all sorts of you know, development of a business plan and making sure that they have their finances in order and making financial projections. And, and you know, sometimes... And those services are out there. They exist. You kind of link them up. And we try sometimes. to link them up. We have, but we also bring in, we have a technical assistance program, and we bring in, you know, we've brought in a number of volunteers who are, who are business people who have been lending their own expertise to these businesses. And then we're starting to also contract with consultants right. to do that as well. But it's a, it's a really important component of our work. Let's try again. Um, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, this is Jason calling from Hope. Yes. Um, my question is, well, first of all, I'm really excited about this show. And um, particularly with what Eleanor said early on um, about you know, not just saying no to whatever it is you're divesting in, but <laughs> saying yes to whatever, you know, whatever new opportunities there are. And it reminds me a lot about uh, war tax resistance. And, you know, that's basically people who are conscientious subjected to taxation because half of our tax money goes to military uh, uses. So they, they don't pay taxes and they redirect that money into other programs. And I was wondering whether um, whether you guys know whether um, any of the slow money around the country, um, whether any of those funds come from redirected tax money uh, and or whether that is, uh, that, you know, that's funding that, that would be, you know, in line with what slow money is doing. Let's take a brief comment from our guests, and then we're going to go Thanks. back to the phones. Thanks very much, Jason. Um, this is an interesting notion. If people have money, they certainly might find you as a, as a way to t redirect that money. Yeah, I mean, he raises an interesting point. I'm not aware of that specifically as a source of funds um, in the movement. And uh, uh, more typically, we do talk about um, actively you know, diverting funds out of your typical stock market companies. Mm -hmm. I mean, my financial advisors recently bought Monsanto and I nearly flipped. <laughs> you know? So it just, again, traditional advisors are not... They're not geared into... What they're not geared into right. to, to, um, to this kind of what we call impact right. investing. I think we have Harold Classy on the line now, so let's, let's hear a, a bit from him. Harold, welcome to Talk of the Towns. 
Good morning, Ron and Eleanor and Bill. How are you today? Great. Tell us a little bit about your role in this um, as the uh, head of uh, Sunrise County Economic Council and, and your role with Slow Money. I would be delighted. Thank you. Over the past winter, we were in contact by Eleanor and Bonnie from Slow Money, Maine. As Eleanor has described throughout the program, businesses and farmers looking for loans um, and that access to capital uh, is a very tough route, and it's very hard to raise that capital in traditional means. And so the Slow Money Maine group, again, a network, not, not an organized group, uh, approached us as they had heard of the work that we do, uh, not only with regular business loans and grants and things like that, um, but our work in delivering these types of programs, being able to quickly to mobilize and organize and be ready to uh, help with the local food production and the local food production infrastructure. And uh, after several conversations over the winter and some strategy and working with uh, and talking with folks from Mothka, Bangor Savings Bank, Maine Farmland Trust, because again, as Eleanor alluded to, this is all about collaboration and people working together. It's about the relationships, uh, as Bill mentioned also. A lot of this is built around that. And we were involved as uh, we had investors that were identified through so so Money Maine that wanted to invest into Washington County, and we could be part of that mechanism to allow a targeted grant program. In other words, it could be thought of as a donor advised fund also to help get money to some particular projects that had presented at Slow Money Maine, and these were uh, businesses that will be uh, doing poultry processing USDA inspection and beef and, and other types of, of, um, of uh, species for the local food and other markets. Through this, we were able to, and, and again, this is through um, working with, with Bonnie and, and Eleanor and Lindsay at Slow Money Maine and others, is to, we created the Sunrise Food Infrastructure Initiative as part of our Sunrise Loan Fund. And to date, we've been able to bring in $190,000 into targeted food infrastructure projects here in Washington County, which I can't speak to the specific projects, but they are underway. And these will be infrastructure projects where not only it helps the person with that business, but all the farmers and other food producers can feed into these systems and use these to expand their markets. Harold, we've got to break in because we're almost out of time. But thanks so much for helping us understand the role of Sunrise County Economic Council in all of this. My pleasure. Okay. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. We began our collaboration in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnain House Highland music recording. Thanks to our guests in the studio and, and uh, Eleanor, give us uh, um, how, how would people learn more about uh, Slow Money Maine? A website, basically? Is that yeah, slowmoneymaine.org. And please, our, our meetings are open to the public. So You've got one coming up in Belfast. We've got one. That, that one needs to be registered for okay. you can find information about it on the website great eleanor kennedy um investor and also on the steering committee and bill eldridge thanks so much bill for being with us well i'm glad i'm still alive that's great uh, moo milk and uh, also on the steering committee for slow money maine uh, thanks to those of you who listened and called in thanks to our underwriters thanks to amy brown for engineering our program and stay tuned for on the wing with joel raymond this is ron beard your host for talk of the towns wishing you a good morning
Support for WERU comes from Two Loons Farm.